Let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, if you will, please. We taught, taught the first chapter in our last lesson, and it was basically about prayer, prayer about the condition that existed. Uh, the walls of Jerusalem broken down, the people in great affliction and reproach, and, uh, and uh, Nehemiah was concerned about it enough to pray certain days. And he prayed before the God of heaven. That's in verse 4 of the first chapter. And so at this time, when we come to chapter uh, 2, it seems that he had been in prayer and fasting and concern for about uh, three or four months. I mean, sometimes we have to pray a lot about things, and then it'll happen eventually. And so that's what Nehemiah did. He was so burdened about this, and, and it led to a situation here that we'll begin to study in the second chapter, that he was sad in the presence of the king. And this, this was not a good thing to be sad in the presence of a king. You might lose your head for that. And uh, he knew the risk he was taking. So we'll pick it up in the second chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of our tax Xerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king, and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. I want you to notice that little word, sad. Sad in his presence. Wherefore, the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? There is nothing. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. Now, he had prayed about this situation, the walls of Jerusalem being broken down. How many were here Wednesday night? Quite a few of you. And we preached on the first chapter. And uh, he was so sad about the condition that existed that he prayed and he fasted and he was burdened about it. He prayed to the God of heaven, confessed the sins of the children of Israel and of himself. And he says, we have sinned. And he brought his confession to, to God and still was burdened about the situation. Sometimes you and I can be so burdened about a situation that we... Uh, bear a long time under that burden. And we need to realize that we have to, like uh, Nehemiah here, he laid his whole life on the line. His literal life. Sometimes you and I have to lay, lay our material situation, our physical situation, our whole being on the life if we're to take courage enough to take the stand we need to take at certain times. And some of you have been there and, and done that, so to speak. And as a preacher, I've been there several times uh, where you have to lay it all before God and uh, make your decisions. And this is what Nehemiah was doing. It says, Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. He showed great respect for the king. Why should not... And here is a statement. This is very daring on the part and very courageous on the part of Nehemiah. I want you to notice. He says, Why should not my countenance be sad when the city of the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Now then this king could take it either way. He could say, Nehemiah, you're, you know better than to be sad in my presence. You're, you're supposed to cheer me up. He was the king's cupbearer, remember? He was the one that was to come in and be cheerful at all times in the presence of the king. And here, he did not know what to expect that the king would say. But in verse 4, it says, Then the king said unto him, For what dost thou make request? This is a chapter that has to do with requests. The first chapter had to do with prayer. And the king was willing to recognize that he wanted to be a part of Nehemiah's burden. 
which was exceptional. Wasn't it? You see, God is able to move upon the hearts of kings as well. And that's exactly what he did in this situation. The king could have said, Nehemiah to the gallows. Nehemiah, that's all of it. I mean, it's very uh, uh, many times the kings of, in the Old Testament would, if you, uh, under these circumstances, that would be what would happen. So Nehemiah was really risking his whole life and his whole welfare for the sake of doing what he felt was a burden that God wanted him to shoulder, and that was the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. The people were in, if you have, read chapter 1, in verse 3 it says, uh, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And so in verse 4, it's, he sat down and wept, and he mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And he confessed the prayer, and we've already had that in a previous lesson. I wonder sometimes, are you and I willing to be courageous enough to risk a great deal of our own welfare, our own situation, for the sake of of doing what God wants us to do. You know, Jesus said, except a man take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And when you take up that cross, he says that a man must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Do we have enough self-denial on our part? I'm sure in Nehemiah's case, he had self-denial, didn't he? Absolutely. He had great self-denial. Let's notice that he was sad. And what made him so sad? I want to point out three things that should make us sad. The peril of our friends makes us sad. Sometimes when we see our friends and our Christian brothers in certain situations, it makes us sad. It makes me sad many times to hear of, of trouble in families it, uh, and to hear of financial upsets or sicknesses and diseases and problems that come to different ones of our church family. It's a sadness on the part of the preacher. And I believe it's a sadness on the part of many Christians that are Christian brothers and sisters. So we need to pray that God will work out uh, those problems that we have within the church family. The peril of our friends makes us sad. And then the peril of the lost makes us sad. If we got a concern, we need a renewal of concern for the lost. When we deal with people day by day, we rub shoulders with folks. And we see a lot of folks that are just as friendly as they can be, as far as humanly speaking are concerned, and yet just as lost as they can be, as far as God is concerned. We deal with those kind of folks every day. And uh, you run across them, you speak to them about the church or about the Lord, and brother, it's all over then. Your conversation really comes to an end. The, there are several families we've been praying for uh, that, uh, well, I... Uh, Introduced one family to Tom and Dottie the other day down there at the store, Walmart. And uh, the one we prayed for this morning that lost a, an aunt up in uh, Los, uh, Los Lunas. And we want to continue to pray for them because after about three years of dealing, or four years dealing with that uh, husband and wife, and we had prayed for her before because she had cancer. And, uh, we, uh, and she's over that. But then the aunt died with cancer. So... Uh, after three or four years, we have really hopes that they're going to be in the house of God. And I believe they will be. So you continue to pray for those and others, too. Their, their name is Kraft. Uh, Bud and Eudora Kraft. Now then, uh, the peril of the loss makes us sad. And then 
The horrors of heathenism makes us sad. Doesn't it make you sad to see the horrors of heathenism and the horrors that people go through that are in cults and in false religions today? They're all around about us. And those people go through... We had a, a friend right here close to the church. Uh, Lisa remembers that she's not here tonight, is she? I don't see Lisa. But right here close to the church that uh, because of their religion, they wouldn't let... The doctors treat one of the family, and, and that particular one passed away, died about three, three or four houses up the road here. A sad situation. That happened about a couple of years ago. And they would not let the uh, member of the family that needed treating by the doctors to get any treatment. And I think you could guess what religion it is or what cult it is without me saying. And I don't want to say their name. I don't want to advertise for them. So... Sometimes we do more advertising for the cults by even calling them out, so I'll just leave it alone now. If I'm teaching on the cults, I'll certainly call them out by name. All of the different ones, because we have certain series of lessons on uh, on Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Scientists, and uh, Mormonism, and various other cults that we teach on from time to time. And Spiritism, and uh, various other ones. But... Uh, and then when we teach on those, we show the differences between what they believe and what the Bible teaches. But anyway, back to this point. So these three things makes us sad. The peril of our friends, the peril of the lost, and the, and the horrors of heathenism makes us sad, and it should make us sad. You know, Paul was one that was sad over his people. He says, I, I have continual sorrow. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. One place, uh, Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10 both. He speaks of this feeling, this heaviness for his brethren. And Nehemiah felt this same way. He had sadness for his brethren in his heart. In verse uh, uh, 3, he states his situation to the king. And then verse 4 then the king said unto him, For what dost thou make request? Wasn't this a gracious move on the part of the king? For what dost thou make request? He says, Nehemiah, what do you want? And Nehemiah knew what he wanted already, but what did he do? So I prayed to the God of heaven. We don't even know what to ask for until we pray sometimes. We pray so that he, he, he could hardly, I'm sure that Nehemiah could hardly realize what a miracle God had wrought in the heart of this king so that he would just open up and say, what do you want, uh, Nehemiah? What do you make requests for? Everything is open for you. We've seen times in this church, all of us have, when God opened up doors for us to have things that we never dreamed we'd have in times past. I mean, from the jump go, all through the history of this church, even to this present day, can you imagine the other day when we got the new carpets? Get the guy down here to measure the carpets out, and he says, if you want this one, you can have it for free. We'll furnish all the carpets. There's 144 square yards. I mean, that's a pretty good price of carpets. And he says, all you've got to pay for is the uh, install, installation and the pad. He says, I'll give you the carpets. Well, that was great, and we appreciate it. And uh, so God can do this. I never asked him for a thing. We were just searching out what we needed. But you see, God can open hearts of people to do great things. Same way about the property we bought over here. We got a $75,000 piece of property for $48,000. Right here, this front property. And we financed it for 12 years and paid for it in 10 months. You know, God has to be in things like that. I can tell you stories about buying this original property and what we didn't have. We didn't... Tom was on the note. We had to, Tom, my brother-in-law here, several of the men. He was here at the church at that time. 
And we had to sign a note and borrow, would you believe, $1,300. A big lot of money for a down payment. But you see, God was able to work that out. And one fellow from West Virginia, Brother Skaggs, you remember him, Tom? Brother Skaggs. He had to leave. He had a sign company down here right close to where Odie's place is going up the hill. That uh, old Stetson school there, the building, they had uh, signs. He was in business there with a son-in-law, I believe it was. But anyway, uh, he had to go back to West Virginia. And he came to me and says, Brother Joyce, divide. there was about seven men on that little note. And to us, it was a big obligation because in those days, 19... 59 and 60, money was kind of scarce. But to make a long story short, he says, divide this up into how much uh, each one would be responsible for, and I'll give the check to the bank for that amount. Or he really gave it to us, and we gave it to the bank to pay on that note. So we divided it into seven, and and, uh, he paid his part of it. I call that a conscientious Christian man. He says, I'm not going to leave. I put my name on the note for this little money that you borrowed. And as I say, in those days, it wasn't little to, to most of us. But uh, we went through those things. And God always opened up the doors and provided the things for us. So before He made requests, it says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. And then look at the courageous, look at the requests He makes. I'm telling you, no one would do this unless He knew that God was in it. And he says, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if, the, if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah and unto the city of my father Sepulchus, that I may build it. He says, I want to take a leave from here as my, doing my service, and I want to go build the city walls of Jerusalem. And by the way, if you remember where he was in Shushan the palace, it was about 750 miles on the map. It'd be over in... Uh, and Iran, actually, you'd have to go through a little bit of Iran and all across Iraq and all across to, to Jerusalem, about 750 miles. In fact, we read that it took him, it probably took him about three months to make his journey the way he had to go and stop at these various places to get the things that the king told him he could have. So he was asking for a great period of time. And so what does he say? that I may build it. In verse 6, And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, and this was a joint venture on the part of the king and the queen because his wife, it says in the marginal reference, sitting beside him. They would have to agree on this. Sometimes if the king wanted to and the queen didn't, you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? Isn't that true today? If the husband wants to and the wife doesn't, you're in trouble. You have to be in agreement. So God had to get her in agreement with this situation too. And uh, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. doesn't say how long. Moreover, now that's not all he asked for was leave from his job, but he says, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river. The river is usually spoken of as the Euphrates. And of course, he was on the other side of the Euphrates, on the east side of it, and he had to come across the Euphrates and then all the way to Jerusalem. And see, he says, Let letters be given to me, to the governors, beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, another letter, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertaineth to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. He gave them all he asked for. You know, we're to ask God, and then we're to ask men. And if we are not afraid, if we're afraid to 
to ask, we will not receive. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. So let's ask God. And if God opens the door, He will make it just exactly what we need. According to the good hand of my God upon me. <clears throat> Prayer first and then asking. Asking God and then asking wherever God leads you in the human realm, physical realm, to ask for the things that are needed. Now then, in verse 9, Then I came to the governor beyond, governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now he went with a great deal of authority and backing up by the king. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. For those in authority... And he had, he had these letters, and he had protection. What did he have? Captains of the army and horsemen to see him on his journey. Now then, everything is not rosy. When God is answering our prayers, and when God is doing something for the church, sometimes there are things that come up that cause a lot of problems. And the next verse reveals the enemies. Look at verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Isn't it sad when you have enemies in opposition to what God wants you to do? And I'll guarantee you that some way or another, when we try to do anything, there will be opposition from some quarters. Anytime you get enthused about doing what God wants you to do, I believe there's a great deal of enthusiasm and uh, encouragement and uh, motives, motivation, and desire on the part of the church to grow and go forward. But just mark it down. It's not going to be easy because you'll always have opposition. You've always had opposition, and there always will be. And we'll read about them again in verse 19. But they were grieved. Look, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek out the welfare of the children of Israel. Now, from verse 11 on, I want to point out several things about Nehemiah. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Time he was there three days. He didn't go immediately out to do what he started to do. But this shows that Nehemiah took time to reflect. We need to take a little bit of time before we enter into any uh, service or work or building, you might say, for the Lord, to take a little bit of time to reflect and think about things. And that shows that that's what Nehemiah did. He was there three days. He didn't go immediately to the work. And the next thing, we need to learn to survey the difficulties. Look in verse 12 through 14. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even to before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. And the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then, I, let's read verse 15 as well. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley. That's the same thing you have in verse uh, 13. So, and so returned. He made this tour. This was a tour of inspection. This was a tour of the city's walls that were broken down and the gates thereof that were burned with fire. And he made a kind of a horseshoe tour. From He began at uh, Valley Gate and he came back to that same place. Not completely around the city. If you have a map of that somewhere, you probably can run across of it. It would be like uh, you have the whole city in a certain shape. 
And he goes about from valley gate up a certain portion of it, like a horseshoe, uh, and then back to where he started from. But he had seen enough. He had seen enough to know that there was a lot of uh, work ahead. Sometimes we don't have to see the whole picture to know there's plenty of work ahead. Had he gone all the way around the city, because in the next chapter, they build all the way around the city. And they set all the gates upon their hinges and restore and repair and so on. But you and I need to be mindful of the fact that there's a lot of work to be done. We need to rebuild the walls of our faith. We need to rebuild the walls that makes the distinctions between what's right and wrong. We gave you some of that in our last lesson. And that's what he was facing. He was facing walls that were broken down. The walls were all broken down. It reminds us of our nation. We got we have many walls that are broken down in our whole country. And he had to begin to survey the situation and know that he had to do a lot of things in order to rebuild these walls. I gave you a couple of references last week, or Wednesday. Isaiah 5, verse 20. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So we have people that try to make everything seem to be good, even though it's evil. And they don't distinguish between. And also in the book of uh, Ezekiel, chapter 44, verse... uh, Let's begin reading verse 23. It says, Neither shall any priest drink wine when they enter into the inner court. Neither shall they take for their wives a widow, nor her that is put away. But they shall take uh, the maidens of the seed of the house of Israel, or a widow that that had a priest before. And they shall teach my people... Now listen... They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Ezekiel rebuked these hireling priests that that profaned his holy thing. And we're not to profane the things of God or the house of God. Remember, Jesus taught us that lesson. He said that you shall not make my father's house a den of thieves. And he said it shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So back in Nehemiah chapter 2, look at this. Uh, Before we go any further, let me just give you Nehemiah's method of rebuilding these walls. We mentioned it before. We said first there was inspection. That's just what we've been talking about, is inspection. And then on down in verse 17, and we'll read it in just a moment, there was exhortation. He exhorted the people. And then... In the next chapter, we'll find that he organized the people. And then he distributed them upon their work on the walls for their place to build. So there's inspection. We have to see what we need. We have to understand what we need to plan for. And to spend our time in planning for the right thing, as Nehemiah did. Then we have to exhort. The Bible says exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You and I need to be exhorted. And that means to be built up to do the thing God wants us to do. And then furthermore, we need to be organized in doing it. Every person has to stand or be in his place of service. And then, uh, or organized to know what place of service. And then distribution. Every man has to do his own work. And we'll get that in the third chapter, the other two points of this. But let's follow on down with verse 16. It says, And the rulers knew not whither I went, nor what I did, neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Sometimes our work has to be between us and God, and then we employ those that are needful to do the work. So, in verse 17, then he begins to make an appeal for 
helpers to do what God had laid upon his heart to do. Look at verse 17. Then said I, not until he had inspected, not until he knew exactly what his plan was, but it says in verse 17, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we're in. He lays it honestly and openly before them. He says, Everything is not good. We have a problem on our hands. You see the distress we're in, how, the, how Jerusalem life waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And then he says, Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Now what does he do as a leader? He says, Come and let us. He didn't say, I'm going to do this. But he said, Come and let us. You see, it's not just the preacher's job. It's not just the preacher and the teacher's jobs, or the deacon's or the workers, it's every one of us. Every man to his work. Every person needs to take up a work. And whatever God lays upon your heart to do, and how you can do in uh, the Lord's work and service, is strictly up to a whole lot up to you, I should say. But every one of us should seek out what God wants us to do, and all enter into the work of building the church. We might say, let's build the walls of this church, or let's build the things of God in this church. And it takes every one of us. Back in the Old Testament, further back in Joshua's day, when they run across a problem and they came back and they were defeated, you know, they they had this idea, let's just send up a few of the men and we'll take Ai. Remember the story? And they went up there and they came running back. Wasn't a very good plan, was it? Wasn't a very good plan. So then they dealt with the sin that was in the camp, if you'll remember. And they got rid of that. And then after that, God told Joshua, He says, Take all the people up with you. Take all the people up with you. And they all went up and they fought the battle. Take all the men of valor. Take all the whole army. Don't just go up there with a few, with a little company or platoon. You go up there with a whole army and you'll come back victorious. And a lot of times, that's why we as a church, we do not accomplish what we'd like to do because we leave it to just a very few workers. But if every one of us get in the work, and the Bible teaches we all should do that, then we're going to see great things happen. If it's just about as much a burden for you in the pew as it is for me behind the pulpit, then we're going to see things done. Because you will invite people to the house of God. And I know you're doing that. I'm not saying you don't do that. I'm just saying that's, does, that is what it takes. That is what it takes. You bring a neighbor and a friend and pray for them and be concerned about their situation, whatever it may be. Maybe there's lost ones around about you. Maybe there's unchurched ones. Maybe there are people that are that have been in church, been saved, and they're just out and they need uh, spiritual help. And you get them back in the house of God, they're going to get that. But as long as we don't all work at it. So what did Nehemiah say? Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproached. Then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me. Then he gave his testimony and said, look what God is doing. He's already provided us the materials. He sent me 750 miles. I have a leave from the king. And now he's already provided the timber. He's provided all everything we need. He sent us protection. He sent everything along the way. And now what's to hinder us from doing the work? I told them of the good hand of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. And also the king's words. You know, when you've got authority and power behind you, it means a great deal. I told them of the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, now look, it's not Nehemiah now. And they said, let us rise up and build. They said, 
So when you get someone besides the preacher saying, let us rise up and build, and I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about building up the church on spiritual uh, grounds and a good foundation and, and growth and the things that we need to do. When we talk about all of us having the same burden and the same feeling about it, and, and that's what they said. Can I hear just by chance everyone saying tonight, let us do what God wants us to do. Not just the preacher saying it. But let every one of us be saying that in our hearts. And if we're saying that, God is going to do great things. And then look at the next verse, uh, last part of that verse. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. It's a good work, but they strengthened their hands for this good work. Boy, it's good when God's people uh, strengthen their hands for this good work. I think in the book of Second Samuel chapter 2 and verse 7, in this situation, David said, now, uh, Therefore now, let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant. Let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant. In one time when David was very discouraged, do you ever get discouraged? I'm sure none of you do. But if you ever get down, the Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. There comes a time that when you feel so weak or discouraged or, or down, you say, Well, what am I going to do? And we try to look to man and we try to figure out a situation. We try to solve our own problem. But the Bible says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. I find out when I'm looking to man, I'm looking in the wrong direction. If I'm looking to God, I'm looking in the right direction. And the Bible says that if we keep our eyes on the Lord, you know, Peter, he started walking to Jesus on the water, didn't he? He started walking and he was looking right square at Jesus and he was walking on that water. And he took his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. And that's what happens to you and I. If we get our eyes off of God, and down we go. But it didn't take him long to recover. And by the way, he didn't have to pray for an hour to do it either. He said, Lord, save me. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes prayers are urgent, aren't they? I'm reminded of old Elijah when he prayed on Mount Carmel. You know, the, the prophets of Baal prayed from morning till, till noon. And they offered their sacrifices. Then they cried to their God. And they cut themselves with lancets. And they afflicted their inflicted wounds upon their bodies. And they couldn't get God to hear them. Naturally not. He's dead. Dead men do not hear. Dead gods do not hear. So Elijah, he set the altar of sacrifice in order. And he... In a time of drought, he poured all the water available around the trees to saturate it to make sure everyone knew that it had to be a miracle. And he called fire down from heaven. He says, God, if, if I'm your servant, and I want you to notice the length of his prayer, if you read it all, it probably would take you 15 seconds maybe or 20 and to say every word he said. And he said, if I'm your servant and you're my God and you're a God that hears and answers prayer and so on. He says, let fire come down. And the fire came down and what happened? It consumed the, the not only the sacrifice, but it consumed the, the altar and the wood and everything there. And he had saturated it with water. So God proved uh, who he was and Elijah was rescued from the situation. And it was proven to the children of Israel who they should worship. So sometimes it does not take a long prayer is what I'm getting Trying to get over it takes a sincere prayer. The Bible says the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if we pray as sincerely and honestly before God, and I don't mean that every prayer should be 30 seconds or 15 seconds. Sometimes we need to pray longer. And many times we pray on, we'll get on our knees and pray about a variety of things because the list is so long that it takes a long time to pray. But I'm talking about in case of emergency and you need to be heard right now, 
Well, that's what you do. When you call 911, you don't have a string of numbers 15 or 20 long, do you? You say, 911, it's right now that I need some help. And that's good. So to have a God that hears and answers our prayers that way. Let's notice the next thing. Look at verse 19. Just as sure as you get people wanting to do what God wants them to do. Remember, they said, let us rise up and build. But look at verse 19. But when Sanballat the, the Hornite and Tobiah, Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? They accused them of being traitors. What is this thing you're going to do? They were laughed to scorn. Sometimes God's people are laughed to scorn by the world. They're laughed to scorn when you attempt to do anything for the Lord. I don't want to be boring about it, but I can remember times, and Tom and Dottie can remember, they were here, when the people said, there's not any need for another Baptist church in Rio Dosa. Why don't you just go to this one or that one? I said, well, they're not a fundamental Baptist church. And I believe God wants a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing Baptist church in Rio Dosa. And I believe it today, just as strong as I believed it today that we agreed to do it. And God uh, saw us through that. And uh, the thing about it is, we were laughed to scorn. Later on, you're going to find when they start building the walls, these same three guys come up and say, what do these feeble Jews? Will they restore this in a day? Will they make an end in a day? Do they expect to remodel this whole city, rebuild this city, and set up all these gates from this, uh, all of this rubbish and this heap of ruins in a day? They, they ridicule them again. What do these feeble Jews? Sometimes the world looks upon you and I as Christians and says, what do these feeble Christians, what do they expect to accomplish? Well, I'll tell you. They'll accomplish all that God wants them to if they're willing to, to, to be the servants that God wants us to be. So, but when Sanballat the Hornite, Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you will do? Will you rebel against the king? Now then, I want you to notice... Uh, the honest answer that Nehemiah gives them. He tells them the truth. He declares the whole truth. Now, I'm sure this was not very pleasing to these fellows. Then answered I them. I want you to notice his answer. Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, they didn't believe in the God of heaven. The God of heaven, He will prosper us. Do you believe the God of heaven will prosper us? I believe He will. The Bible tells us the book of Joshua. He says, Joshua, if you'll be faithful and you'll stick to the Word, he says, everything you do. Look to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I want you to get this. It says this. Look at verse 7, 8, and 9. Joshua 1, 7, 8, and 9. He tells uh, Joshua, he says, Moses is dead, my servant is dead. And he says, now you've got to do something. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest, look, thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Obey God's word, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. People turn from the right and the left, don't they? We got the rightest and the leftest, don't we? We have them in our nation. They talk about it in politics, don't they? Some are extreme right and some are extreme left. Uh, God told Joshua, you stick to the Word. doesn't make any difference which way any others go. You stick to the Word. And he says this, That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. That what? You may prosper. And he says, This book of the law 
shall not depart out of thy mouth. You're to speak it. Look, out of thy what? Not your heart, but out of your mouth. Now look. And then it says, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You're to live in it day and night. That thou mayest observe to do, you're to obey it according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Meditate in it day and night. Wake up with it in the morning. Go to bed with it at night. And if you have a dream during the night, think about the Word. If you wake up during the night, think about the Word. You say, preacher, that's being a fanatic. Not so. The Bible says, you read Psalm 1. Listen carefully. Blessed is the man. Happy. Blessed is the man that Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he what? Meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. It says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way, not only the righteous, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly, even their way shall perish. The way of the ungodly shall perish. So what is it? Prosper by meditating in God's Word. Back now in our last uh, verse of the second chapter. And notice carefully. Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, you have our text, He will prosper us. Therefore we His servants, He was not ashamed to say, We're God's servants. You're unbelievers, but we're God's servants. Therefore we His servants will arise and build. Now I want you to notice this last statement. But you have no portion nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. This is none of your business, he's saying. He says, you don't have anything to do with this because they need to be born again. They need to, they need to be children of the living God. And they were far from that. They were enemies of God's people. And he says, you don't have any business here. You have no portion, no right, no right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. And if we can learn up to stand up and tell the truth, he declares... What did I say first on verse 20? The whole truth. He says, God's going to help us, but He's not going to have anything to do with you guys. And that's just the way it stands today. God is going to take care of us. The Bible says, and there's a whole lot I wanted to say I didn't get to, but when we get to the third chapter, we want to see rebuilding the wall. And the fourth is very interesting. Don't miss uh, Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, the third chapter. But uh, let's remember that... uh, when we start doing what God wants us to do, we're going to meet with opposition. But we know if we're doing what God wants us to do, He's going to help us to prosper, and it'll work out for His glory and our good. I had too many things on my mind then. There's two more things I wanted to say, and I didn't get to say either one of them because I said something else. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's remember. Oh, I know. I revived the thought. Sometimes God has me, has, helps me to resurrect a thought. And I resurrected a thought. And Mr. Quit shaking your head that way. And I resurrect the thought. And the, it's Isaiah 54, verse 17. I've given it to you before. It says, No weapon, you memorize it, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. It says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. You memorize that verse. It's Isaiah 54, verse 17. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention. And don't miss chapter 3, 
when we talk about building the walls and the gates around the whole city of Jerusalem, then we'll, you'll see how that every man was distributed, and it says one uh, repaired next unto him, and next to him, and, and after him, next unto him. That's the language of the whole third chapter, that one took one position, and the, another person was right beside him, and another person right beside him, until they compassed the whole city, and everyone was doing their work around the whole city walls. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention.